Now let's open the Word of God. It's been read for us. Let's open it to Luke chapter 21. Would you turn there? Luke chapter 21. What a glorious day it is here in East Tennessee. Uh, Today and yesterday, one of those what I call near-far days. (laughs) Near-far days. And what I mean by that is on days like this, there's a few places that if you can get there, you can look out toward our beautiful Smoky Mountains, and you can see them. Uh, If you've never been up around the fields of grace, that corner over there, and look back toward the mountains, it's a beautiful sight. And it looks like you could just reach out and touch them. They seem so close. But on the near-far days that I'm referring to, you can actually see beyond the closest ridge, you can see another ridge of mountains that a lot of times is obscured from our view. That's the reason we call them what? The Smoky Mountains, all right? But every once in a while you can see, and it looks like that those ridges are so close together. But if you approach them, you'll find out they're separated by great distance. They, some of them are near, and then others are far. And the last few Sundays, we've been looking at this passage of Scripture. It's a message by our Lord, and he's talking about the near and the far when it comes to prophecy. The near and the far view of prophecy. Now, he does that because he has just astounded the disciples by something that he said. You remember in the first verses of Luke chapter 21, we're told how the disciples were gazing in admiration with all the beauty of the temple, all the stones and all the precious offerings that had been brought there. And Jesus said to them, do you see these stones? He said, I tell you, there will come a day when not one of these stones will be left standing upon another. They'll all be thrown down. Now that just astounded the disciples. Because this temple, this city of Jerusalem... It represented everything for them, not only as a nation, but also for their hope in Jehovah God and his Messiah. And they knew Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. And yet he's not setting up his kingdom on earth. He's he's not establishing himself. Matter of fact, just the opposite. He says, this temple, this city, is going to be torn down. And of course, these astounded disciples ask a question. Say, when is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? When is it going to happen? What will be the sign of these things that are about to happen? And then Jesus responds with this message. It is a a prophecy, it's a prediction. It's a prophecy and a 
prediction about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, which is quite near. But as Jesus talks about this fulfillment that is quite near, it leads him to talk about a worldwide judgment that's coming. Not just on the temple, not just on Jerusalem, but it's coming to the whole earth. He's talking about the last days, the days of his second coming, right? And he says those are very far. He says all these things are going to happen in Jerusalem. Verse 9, but the end will not be at once. There are some things that are going to happen before the end comes. Now you see this division in Jesus' message. If you look at this passage and carefully follow it, you'll see that it is divided in these two sections. The very near events that Jesus is talking about, which will be fulfilled in the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem. That's verses 8 through verse 24. But then Jesus transitions and he talks about a coming judgment at his last and the last days, at his second coming. And it's quite far. And he describes those last days, beginning in verse 24, the second part, all the way down through verse 36. So Jesus is describing here, the, the second part of his message, the, the time of his return in glory and the times and the signs that precede that. It's a season. Yes, there's going to be an event when Christ returns in the clouds in power and great glory. But that's going to be preceded by a season. And so this morning I want us to make sure we understand what Jesus is describing as he talks about the season of the king, the season of the kingdom. Because, dear friends, it is very possible that we might be right in the middle or at the end of that season. But regardless, he wants us to know how to live. It's certain that he's coming, right? But we need to be certain about how we live. Now, once you notice, this passage divides near and far in verse 24. I want you to look at this. In verse 24, the last part, Jesus said this. He said, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, look at that verse 24 in your Bibles. Before we read this passage, it's on the screen. Verse 24, he says, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. That's an event. But then Jerusalem's going to be trampled again and again and again until this 
season called the time of the Gentiles is completed. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. The time of the Gentiles. What is that? That's the time where Jerusalem is going to be a a battleground, literally, through the centuries. Over a hundred wars for the control of Jerusalem have taken place since Jesus' day until ours. The Lord said in the last days he would make Jerusalem like a boiling pot among the nations. And here we have the Lord saying that there's a season called the season of the Gentiles. That's a trampling of Jerusalem. But also what is going on while this trampling is taking place. What did Jesus say? I want you to be my disciples. To what? All the nations, the nations is the same word here for Gentile, all the ethne, that doesn't mean just countries, that means all the people groups of the world, that they're all to hear the glorious gospel of a savior of Jews and Gentiles who makes them one in his new community. That is his people, the church. That's what's been happening. It's almost 2,000 years now, right? Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. The temple torn down. Millions of Jewish people carried off into captivity. It's been trampled now 2,000 years. But my friend, the trampling of Jerusalem is not the destruction of the kingdom, right? The kingdom has been being expanded in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ going to all the world. Now Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. He said, this temple is going to be torn down. This city is going to be destroyed. It's going to be trampled underfoot for a period of time until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. But then there'll come the last moments, the last days of this earth preceding the coming of the Lord. And Jesus wants his disciples to be ready. So here's the season of the king. I think we ought to just read it again. Let it settle into our minds. What Jesus says to us about these last days. After this trampling. This trampling of Jerusalem. Verse 25. Jesus says this. And there will be signs in the sun. And the moon and the stars. And on the earth. Distress of nations. In perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves. And the roaring of the sea and of the waves is an image in the Bible of the, of the turbulence among the nations and mankind. Restless. The whole earth, not just the earth, creation itself trembling as the day is approaching. 
people's hearts will be feigning with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. And the powers of heaven will be shaken. What does that mean? It means the very forces that we have relied on and we have known as as the, the mechanism of our existence. They'll be rattled. Everything will be shaking. And then they will see the Son of Man. That's Jesus' favorite title for himself. The Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Not on a colt of a donkey. (laughs) In power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. To make sure they understand what he's saying, he gives them a parable. He told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And now, how should we live? But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now notice, there's three very clear divisions that Jesus makes in this prophecy about the season of the king, the kingdom. Notice, he shares a parable, he shares a promise, and then he shares about preparedness. Quickly, I want you to look at these. First of all, Jesus shares a parable. It's a parable for the last days. And it is the briefest and clearest of all of Jesus' parables. Verse 29, told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you will see for yourselves and know that summer's already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know the kingdom of God is near. Now let's notice, it's a parable about the fig tree. And and there are folks who see in this that 
this is a reference to Israel, that Israel is the fig tree. And some even say that the budded of the fig tree is the coming back to life of the nation Israel as it was established in 1948. Now, I believe that's mistaken. And I think that's mistaken for two reasons. Number one, the fig tree is not the biblical image for the nation of Israel. The tree that is the emblem for the nation of Israel is not the fig tree. It is the olive tree. The olive tree. But more important, listen to what Jesus said. He did not just talk about the fig tree, which buds first. But notice what he said. Look at the fig tree, verse 29, and all the trees. All the trees. The fig tree and all the trees, when they're starting to bloom, they tell us summer's near. Israel is noted for, like other parts of the country, very short spring seasons. There's a rainy season, winter. Then there's this season of budding. And then a long, dry, hot summer. That's what Jesus is referencing here. He's referencing that when his disciples... See these things. Do you notice that? When they see these things, verse 31, you know the kingdom of God is near. As a matter of fact, he says, watch for these things three times. Verse 28, he says, you will see these things. Verse 31, he says, when you see these things. Verse 36, he says, that you might be able to escape all these things. These things. What are the these things he's talking about? When you see these things. If, if he wants us to see something, what are we supposed to see? Well, what are those things? The things he wants us to see are what he's just described in verses 25 and 26. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth. There will be distress of nations. Perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will be fainting for fear with foreboding of what's coming to the world. The very powers of the heavens of creation will be shaken. That's what these things, he says, we are to, as disciples, he says, watch for these things. Now, Jesus just made that statement as a summation of the days before his glorious return. But he's going to elaborate on it about 60 years later to one of his disciples standing there. Anybody know who that disciple is? John. And when John is in his 80s, maybe 90, on the island of Patmos, imprisoned, exiled for his testimony for Christ, the Lord will visit him 
and give to him an apocalypsis, an unveiling of things which are about to quickly come to pass at the end of the days. And that's just what the book of the Revelation really is. It's just an, an expounding on these days. And Jesus said they will suddenly come to pass. Now, my friends, these days that Jesus is talking about, they're, they're horrific days. They are the days of what the Bible calls the, the great tribulation. The tribulation, the great one. We all have tribulations and trials. The Bible says if we live godly in Christ, we will suffer tribulation and trial. But he's talking about a trial that's coming upon the whole earth. A tribulation, the great one. And those days, though, as awful as they are, are not days without hope right because if you have Christ you have hope and you know what hope is hope's not what you wish for hope is what you know based on the promises of God who cannot lie Amen. hope in the Bible is just the reality of yet and not yet experienced reality it's coming it's absolute and so Jesus giving this parable of what's about to happen in the last days, he gives a promise. What's his promise? His promise is this, verse 27, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and with great glory. They here is referencing to his enemies. They who will not have him rule over them. They who reject the Lord of glory. Not only reject him, but murder him. But this murdered Messiah is the conqueror of death. He rose again. He's ascended and coming again. And he's coming in power and great glory. And Jesus says to his disciples, when you see these things, and when you are going through the trials associated with these things, lift up your heads. Why? Because your redemption, verse 28, your redemption is drawing near. Why? Because your Redeemer is your redemption. Amen. Your salvation is your Savior. Eternal life is Jesus. And heaven is heaven because the king is the king of heaven. My friend, if Jesus were not in heaven, then heaven would not be heaven. It's heaven because he's there. And wherever he is, is our redemption when we're with him. He makes this promise. And he says that this promise is so certain that he, he seals this promise. He seals it. He seals it with a promise, first of all, notice this, about his people. His people. Verse 27. 
He says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now drop down. What does he say to those who will see this? Verse 32. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now notice, he references this generation. What does Jesus mean? This is, this is a difficult verse to interpret. He says there's a generation that will not pass away till it sees all these things. Now, he's just spoken about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And that generation is not going to pass away. Some of them are going to see it happen. In just 37 years after Jesus spoke these words, 70 A.D., the temple destroyed, Jerusalem destroyed. But it's very clear here that Jesus, in this context, the second part of this message, is not just speaking about Jerusalem and the temple. He's talking about something that's going to come on the entire earth. Notice verse 25, all the earth. Verse 26, it's going to be the whole world. Verse 27, 28, it's his return. Verse 31, it's the bringing of his kingdom. Verse 35, the whole earth is involved in this. People who think what Jesus has said was fulfilled by the destruction of the temple and fulfilled by the destruction of Jerusalem and that all of this is past tense, they're mistaken. Jesus is not looking just to the destruction of the temple. He's talking about something that's coming, verse 25, on the earth. Verse 26, the world. Verse 27, 28, it's his return. The kingdom coming. The whole earth involved. So when Jesus is saying here, this generation shall not pass away until all these things are fulfilled... What, what is he talking about? If it's, it's not the generation that sees the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, what, what is this generation? Well, in answer, I want you to know I'm absolutely certain about two possibilities. <laughs> I'd have made a pretty good politician, right? I'm absolutely certain <laughs> about two possibilities. Folks, you know sometimes the smartest thing you can say is, I don't know. Or I'm not sure. Sometimes your mind can be like concrete. Thoroughly mixed and permanently set. <laughs> be open to continue learning. What are the possibilities that Jesus is saying this generation well, it can be the generation which sees what? These things. 
these things that he's just described in verses 25 and 26. He says, the generation that sees these things, these signs of the last days will not pass away until everything's fulfilled. Or the word here for generation can also be translated for a people. Not just a span of years. It can refer to a generation like the generations of Abraham. Means the people of Abraham. The, the generations of the just means all the people who are justified. And so what the Lord could be also indicating here is that he's making a promise no matter that these things are going to come and they're going to be so terrible and difficult, yet the Lord will always have his people. His people will not be destroyed. Jesus said, I will build my church in what? The gates of Hades will not be able to stand against it. Both are true. There's a generation that will see the last signs. And that generation will not pass away till all has been fulfilled. But there's another truth, my friend. Whether it's our generation or a generation to come. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ, what? Will rise first. And those who are alive and remain will be snatched up to meet the Lord in the air. And people that have passed away haven't missed anything when it comes to Christ's return. Matter of fact, they get the head start. Someone has said because they got six feet further to go. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. I want you to know. <laughs> funny what goes on up here when you're speaking. Just... But there's a second promise that seals everything. A second promise that seals everything. Not just the promise of, of his people, but a promise of his word. The promise of his word. Verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away. My friends, you know there's coming a new atmosphere and a new earth that will be renewed, brand new. There's coming a new heaven, a new earth. But in the new heaven and new earth, there'll still be the eternal word of God. It's eternal. And notice what Jesus says. My words will not pass away. I mean, if Jesus had not gotten himself in trouble yet, he has just quoted the promises in the Old Testament of Jehovah's word enduring forever, and he says, my words are God's words, and they will not pass. That's an astounding claim of deity. People say Jesus never declared to be God. Well, what do you think they crucified him for? 
They crucified him because he said, I am the Son of Man. I'm coming in power and glory. And when I speak, I speak as God. Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus did not have an identity crisis. He knew who he was. He said, my word will last forever. You know, I read something this week, and I'd read it a few times over the years. It goes back to the 18th century about the famous, infamous, blasphemous man, Voltaire. Voltaire was an atheistic, agnostic philosopher and publisher in France. In the 18th century, sadly, he had some impact on some of our founding fathers in his writings. But, what I want you to know is he made a bold prophecy. You know what his bold prophecy was? This is what he said. Within 50 years of my death, copies of the Bible will only be found in museums. That's what he said. Within 50 years of my death, copies of the Bible will only be found in museums. Well, Voltaire was just a little less than accurate with his prophecy. Because, listen, within 50 years of his death, his house was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society. And his printing presses were used to print the Word of God. <laughs> Hang on, it gets better. <laughs> on all the Bibles printed, on Voltaire's printing presses out of his house, on all the Bibles in the flyleaf written in French, was a statement. Do you know what the statement was? Verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, go God, right? Amen. And God. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, what a God we serve. People beat on the word of God like a blacksmith would beat his hammers on an anvil. And guess what? Over the decades, <laughs> different hammers, the anvil stays the same. <laughs> the word of God. Now let's remember something here quickly. Jesus shared this parable and he shared this promise so that his disciples might live in preparedness. Preparedness for the last days. That's Jesus' message. Beginning in verse 34 down through 36. He says, be prepared. I love what the author from the 19th century, J.C. Ryle said. He said that Jesus is challenging us to perpetual preparedness. We don't know the day or an hour. He's coming, as he said earlier, like a thief in the night. 
And so we're to be perpetually prepared. Notice what Jesus says. Be watching. Stay awake. Be alert. Notice Jesus says be alert in two areas of our life. Very quickly. Number one, be alert in your personal life. Because Jesus is coming. Be alert. Watch yourselves. Don't just watch the clouds. Don't just watch television. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. Be alert in your personal life. Jesus said, beware of dissipation and drunkenness. Today, what's that translate into it? Literally, today it would mean getting wasted. Or a party hard philosophy. Because you know Jesus is coming. Hey, we're going to be saved. Then let's live like it's the end of the world. That's right. But how should you be living? He says this is the way not to live. Don't live in waste. These are sins like the sins of the prodigal. In the story Jesus told of the prodigal son, the Bible says that Jesus declared he wasted his life in riotous living. He wasted his life by getting wasted. My friend, the Bible condemns in the strongest terms drunkenness. Why? Because we're not to be controlled by spirits, little s, but be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. You can't be both. You cannot be under the influence and be under the power of the Holy Spirit. There's another way Jesus warned not to be unprepared. Don't be unprepared. Not waste our lives by dissipation and drunkenness. But he said, beware of distracted living. Look at this, verse 34. He says, watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. And what else? The cares of life. What's the danger here? The danger here is being so focused on the things of life that you forget the purpose of life. We get so focused on making a good living, we forget to live a good life for the glory of Christ and the blessing of other people. See, this is not the prodigal's sins. This is the elder brother's sins. You remember that guy? Oh, he did everything. He kept all the rules and regulations of his father. He stayed right home. But his heart was a million miles from his father's heart. And he wouldn't come in to what? The party. What's the party? The party is the joy 
of the Father. The joy over His Son being restored. His prayers being answered. People far from God without hope brought back by the power of the love of God. And he didn't have the heart of his father. He missed the joy. He missed it. Some people are missing the joy of their life. The joy unspeakable and full of glory. To know Christ. To experience him. And the abundant life. My word. What a sad thing to live your life just as a hyphen between two dates that they put on a rock and put you under it. No. We need to be resolved like Jonathan Edwards. You remember him? That great believer of the pre-colonial and colonial days. You know what he made a resolve of when he was just a young man? He said, I'm resolved for this. I'm resolved that while I live to truly live, to live in Christ, be alert in your personal life. And then just this, be alert in your prayer life. Be alert in your prayer life. Verse 36, stay awake. At all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. That is the idea to endure all these things that are going to take place. Make sure you pray so you can stand before the Son of Man. Be alert. Stay awake. How do you do that? By praying. Don't be a sleepy Christian. Pray. Now, it's not a sin to fall asleep while you're praying. I mean, think about it. Why count sheep when you can talk to the shepherd? Come on, right? Who better to be talking to? Well, you just drift off. The Lord gives you a little gospel nap. But remember to pray. Watch. Be diligent. Be alert. Literally, set your watch to pray. Put it in your schedule. You know why some people don't pray? Because they don't plan to pray. Can I share just a, a little prayer reminder that's been helpful to me recent, recently? I'll share it with you. It, it's, on my, it's on my iPhone. It's on my iWatch or whatever this thing is. Susan got me for Christmas, okay? It's, I, it's, it's something, but it's on my phone. It's on my watch. And you know what? It is just this. Twice a day. 9.38. 9.38. Why, nine, why do I have a reminder on my phone and my watch at 9.38? Matthew 9.38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. To send out laborers into his harvest. Twice a day my phone reminds me. Pray. Pray for laborers. And you know while you're praying for laborers. You're praying for missionaries. You know it's like this. The Lord says now that I got your attention. Could I talk to you about a few things? 938. Pastor Joe I 
That's our theme for next year's missionary conference. <laughs> 9.38, just giving that word now, okay? All right. <laughs> Pray that you may be able to watch stand. Folks, the only people that are strong enough to stand are the people who are determined enough to kneel. Pray that you may stand for Jesus in an evil day. I don't care how strong and evil this day is. It's not as strong and good as our Savior Jesus Christ. Pray that you'll be able to stand for Jesus in this evil day. And as Paul said, having done all to what? Stand. Don't stand with a chip on your shoulder. Don't stand with a bad attitude. But stand and speak the truth in love. And be filled of grace and truth as was our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand. Pray that you'll stand for Jesus in the evil day and pray that you may stand before Jesus in that glorious day. Pray that you won't have fizzy faith. Any of you remember fizzies? I'm dating myself. Google them. (laughs) Drop these little flavored tablets in water and they fizz for a while and disappear. For some folks, baptism's like that. You drop them in water and they fizz for a while. Then they go away. (laughs) That's not my notes either. (laughs) Don't have fizzy faith. Pray that you'll have faith. Pray that you will persevere. Pray that you will be found watching, serving, And stand before the Lord in that day. And what a day that will be. Amen. Amen. It's a day that's coming. And for you here. Are you watching? It's either going to be judgment day. Or redemption day. He's coming as judge and redeemer. Now, which is he for you? If you will not take Jesus Christ as your Redeemer, if you will not repent and turn to him, he's still coming. But he's not coming as your Redeemer, he's coming as your judge. But thank God if you take him as your Redeemer, your sins have already been judged. He took the judgment on himself. And paid in full our debt. It's going to be a glorious day, right? Let's bow our heads and I'm going to ask that we sing again that last stanza and chorus of what we just sang earlier. Praise the name of the Lord, our God. But please now, friends, listen. We got to be ready. We've got to determine that we will draw near to God and He will draw near to us, that we will stand and having done all to stand, and we will be strong to stand in love. 
friend, we need to be ready. Make yourself ready by coming to Christ today. Flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. His arms are open. The door is open. Today is the day of salvation. This is the time. Don't boast about tomorrow. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Come to me, he says. I'll give you rest. Come. Oh, friend, I pray you'll come now. If you would like to come at this invitation, pray, come. We'll be glad to pray with you. Our, our prayer team, our elders, glad to pray with you. But come to Christ, to Christ. And thank God, church, he's coming. Amen? Amen. Let's sing this to him. Stand with me now. Look up. That's our voices. He will, he shall return in robes of white. How many of you believe that? Say Amen. How many of you believe it? Amen. Let's sing it then. Lead us out.